This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Now, every human being was created differently than the next. I mean, if you look around at yourselves, you're clearly different than each other. But even your siblings and even, even identical twins have a totally different mission. We all have, have this uniqueness to us and we sometimes don't get the fact that your uniqueness is to be expressed as your special contribution. Your self-expression is supposed to be actually put out there in the world. Now, how big you put in the world is irrelevant. We're not talking quantity here. We're just talking about the quality of that which you bring to the table and what you express. The prophets were, uh, you know, they were, they would get this download from God when they would have prophecy. And that always took place when they were out in the desert. And the word for desert in Hebrew is, uh, the word for desert in Hebrew is midbar. Midbar. And that, that means desert. Is there two S's in desert? Or that's one. There's one. I'm thinking about food a little bit. I'm fasting today. So... I wrote dessert. I just want dessert. Somebody give me dessert. So it means desert, but it also means speech. The word midbar means both desert and speech. And it all depends where you put the dots. So if you put the dots here, um, it's uh, midbar. That's midbar. And if you just play with the dots a little bit, like this, and it becomes midaber, midbar, midaber. But it's you know in Hebrew there are no letters, there are no vowels in Hebrew, and uh, and so the word midaber or midbar are the same. And what happens to the prophet when he's out in the wilderness? So it's not a desert. I'm a little out there right now. I apologize. I'll get my act together soon. Just didn't realize I was going to be standing in front of a lot of people today. That doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> Midbar means wilderness does not mean desert. In Israel, the biggest wilderness is the desert, but the ocean is also a midbar. And the forest is a midbar. The midbar just means out there. It just means out there. Out in the wilderness. Now, out in the wilderness, you'll notice that there's a extreme lack of, of voices. There's a, there's a lack of, of speech or voice <coughs> in, the, in the midbar. But you'll notice in the city, there is tremendous amount of speech. And in fact, marketing all day long is creating speech inside your head. Judaism sees thoughts as speech. Did you know that? That thoughts are speech in Judaism? And meaning, what is your thoughts? Their thought is just speech that has not been put out. You haven't put this, this. If you haven't put a thought out, it doesn't make it any less of a speech. It's speech. Maybe better termed as voice. But voice comes out of speech. Now, if it doesn't come out, it doesn't make it any less of a voice. As you all know, you have a voice in your head. Have you ever heard the voice in your head? Everyone take a moment 
Everyone listen to the voice in your head. I'll be quiet for a moment. Please listen to the voice in your head. As we turn the AC down, please. I have no idea they do that, but I'll figure it out. Excellent. <laughs> It'll be under mode. You'll see fan. There's two options, the one that's on and the other one. Just press it. It's got a picture of okay. You got it. Good job. Now. Everyone be quiet for a moment and listen to the voice in your head. Some of you are saying right now, what voice am I in? I don't hear a voice in my head. What's he talking about, a voice in my head? That's the voice. <laughs> Masterful human beings can hear it. You actually hear the voice in your head. And then the rest of the people are being constantly hijacked by the voice. And what's the best way to hijack you? Is by you not knowing there's a voice in your head. See, if you don't realize this is all a voice, even while I'm speaking right now, this is, I know you think this speech is going on here, but everyone point to where this speech is taking place. Point to where this speech is happening. Good. Own it. Everyone point here. Point here. Own it. Own your space. No one can take that away from you. And it's so sad that so many people, if I asked you to point to me, you would point up here. But I'm, I may be up here physically, but for you, I'm right in there somehow. If you're looking this way, you know, I must be in there somewhere. And my voice is in your head, which is really your voice. In your head. And that's why if there are 30 people in this room and we go outside and I'd ask you, if I interviewed all of you of what I've said so far, I would have 30 different classes. Because each one of you will hear it according to your voice. But how do you get to your voice? How do you really get to your voice? Our voices are so, um, so, uh, what's the word, I'm sorry, I'm in Hebrew for something, Merkab, uh, so, uh, not a lot of Hebrew speakers I see. Complicated. Not complicated. <laughs> Yours may be complicated, but they just, Merkab is complicated. <laughs> don't worry, a lot of people here whose voices are complicated, but they're, um, they're, uh, what's the word with made of multiple? Bipolar. What? I'm just confused. <laughs> <laughs> What's your name? Shoshana. Shoshana, you, the voice in your head is far from your voice. It's got your mother's voice. It's got your father's voice. It's got your teacher's voices, which is so random. <laughs> I mean, all of the words, all, any of that kind You know, like, you'd have to have a whole family history to get those voices. And then and then think about the school you went. Where, where did you go to grade school? What, what city? New York. New York. So within a mile, there was probably like 10 options, or a couple miles or probably more. And each one of them would have had a different angle on life. But maybe they would have had something common, but we could fly you like 2,000 miles away to some like jungle where, and you'd like join all the eight-year-olds in the teepee, and, and they'd be there getting their education, and there wouldn't be even one word in common with anything, meaning in English. There wouldn't be one teaching that had anything to do with the teaching you got. Unless, of course, you were getting taught Torah. And then there would be lots of commonality as long as you were dealing with real Aboriginal, you know, real indigenous people. Then you'd have a lot in common. So where is your voice? 
You realize that every time you walk by a billboard, every time there's a pop-up ad, every time there's someone, you're at Shabbos table and someone's just kind of foaming at the mouth, over-talking there, you know, you get an idea after idea after idea after idea. So which, which, are, which ideas are truly yours? Which ones are yours? Where is your voice in all of this? And a lot of you, I think, are single in this room. And you better listen to that voice. You better find it. Because that same voice is going to have to make some pretty serious life decisions. And so you better, you better know what it's saying. You may not even trust your own voice. You may have had your voice so... so and I see it's not a vocabulary day for me. So pushed around by a, a million different other options or a million different influences, influences better, that, uh, that it, you wouldn't even know what your voice would be saying. There are certain people who were raised being told what to do from the get-go. Just in a kind of, it's often in a more traditional, maybe Hasidic Jewish home or Syrian Jewish home or a certain home that where it's... Uh, in a, or a Haredi kind of home where, where there's a lot of a lot, very little of your voice, choice, will involved here. Which can be crippling as a young adult. Because in the end, you're going to live with your choices. And you've got to be the one making them. As long as you make your choices, you can live with anything. But it gets very hard to live with other people's choices. Now, this has nothing to do with little kids, because little kids, you got to choose a school. You can't expect your little kids to choose a school. But there's a point in your life when you're probably around 16, 17, 18, where you start to discover your voice. And it also goes with finding your colors. People have different colors that work with them. You'll see, like, when you go to your 10-year high school graduation, the, uh, you'll see people who you don't remember being particularly beautiful in high school are suddenly very, very beautiful. And that was because they found their voice. They found their colors. They found their... They found, their, they found where they... Where they inside... As a gift from God, where they, where they vibrationally relate, they found that and they align with that. That becomes their baseline. Anything veering from that, as things will influence you away from that voice, you, they would always come back to the baseline. Hashem gives inside each of us a, a certain intuition, an instinct. That which works with us, <coughs> something that you want to be, you want to be establishing that inside yourself, but not dogmatically, not like squeezing that tightly. The opposite of really, really, really quite the opposite. You're not you want to find it, you want to stick with it, but you don't want to grip it too tight because your your voice may 
need to evolve. There's an evolution of that choice. You're going to be living with other people. You're going to be... And you have to have openness at the same time. Yes? Um, you've spoken before about like how bad having a self-image is, how it could like hold you back and everything. So what what's the difference between like another different word? Finding your voice between, in the yeah. self-image. Yeah. That is an excellent question, and you were the last one to ask me to define the self-image in this class. Oh yeah. <laughs> so the um, so when I whenever I talk about being nobody, getting rid of your self-image. What I'm talking about there is, is specifically the, the outer layer personality that you adapted to survive the lies about you. Meaning every one of us says like really horrific lies about ourselves. And what we've done is we've created a personality to protect ourselves from those lies. So those, and we don't know them as lies, we think they're true. Things like ugly, unworthy, stupid, un- incapable, unlovable, uh, lost, weak, small. All those things that kids are saying inside their hearts about themselves. And to the child, or the kid, it, nothing, could be any, nothing could be truer. Because once you have that voice, you're vibrationally going to attract more circumstances that perfectly prove it. You know, your life is one big proof that it's true about you all those negative voices. Because vibrationally you attract the circumstances over and over again. But what happens is because you can't live with such horrible adjectives that I just mentioned about seven of them. Because you can't live with such adjectives. You created a personality to protect you from those adjectives. You developed a, an, an outer personality, a world that you would tell everyone else about yourself to protect yourself from anyone knowing it and also you being reminded of it. And that's the personality. That's the self-image. That's the self Devin says one's false and one's true. Yeah, so, so now the inner voice, I shouldn't use personality, that's the self-image. I mean, let's just go into the word for a second. What's, what does the word image mean? What's it short for? Imagination. Imagination, imaginary, imagine, right? So think about the word self-image now your little imaginary self. Think about the self-image. It's amazing that human beings would use such a term as a self-image. Think of all the marketing, trying to market self-image. All these victims of marketing. So it means the imaginary self. It's not the real self. One other way of looking at it is the word image means picture, like Google Images, like you take an image of something. <laughs> Look at that one, self-image. It's a picture of yourself that you took at some point. But when do you think you took that image? At your best of times or at your worst of times? So I'll tell you, it was at your worst of times. We had all kinds of beliefs about yourself, negative thoughts about yourself that seems so true because they keep getting stamped day after day because you attract the circumstance which prove it true and then you what did you do you created a self image you took a photo of yourself in what you considered a survival of that in your worst of times 
meaning the picture of the self-image was taken at the worst of times. So that's the self-image. Um, you don't need more of that. You don't want to make it bigger. You don't want to make it stronger. You don't want to make it... You, you understand. You don't want more of that. I get people calling me all the time uh, about my seminars, and they're like, they're like, will it help build my self-image? No, it's actually going to get rid of the darn. And you may actually start becoming a happy person. You could actually become happy and free. Because when you're free of the self-image, so you go into this world that's called possibility. There's a whole world called possibility. I don't know what, what you guys thought the possibility meant, but now you know. Because in the self-image, everything's very predictable. All your behavior is predictable. That's why they have sitcoms on television. Sitcoms on television have, like, you know, the four, five, six archetype characters that will as much match up with humanity, meaning a, you know, let's say U.S. people. That's why it's really hard to watch a British sitcom if you're from the U.S. And US, British people, like, it's kind of hard to try on the U.S. one because they're really trying to find the archetypes of the population they're speaking to. And then they have each character make up one of those archetype images. And then they, what they do is it's just called a sitcom, situation comedy. They change the situation, and then everyone acts totally predictably. You could write this story yourself. All you need is a situation. You know how every actor is going to act. That's our life. And that's why we watch it, because wouldn't it be nicer to watch someone else than yourself? Deal with life. Self-image is exhausting. You can see how tired people look. You can see how exhausted young people look. You can see the lack of motivation because you're not generating from your core essence. Self-image is automatically a diversion from the essence of who you really are. It's automatically a diversion. And that's why we're discussing getting to the essence and starting to listen to your voice. And that voice has to be heard in isolation of people in the isolation of the voices. It's not, there's nothing wrong with letting the world shape those things, but you've got to first get to the wilderness. There's nothing wrong with input. I'm not seeing the questions right now. There's nothing wrong with input. I get lots of input, but the input only begins when you get in touch with your core. And then you can start listening and seeing what people have to say. And the amazing thing, the amazing thing, is that when it comes to spiritual reality, like, think where we are right now, is Jerusalem. When it comes to spiritual reality, I'll just block the back line. When it comes to spiritual reality, you, it's, it fits. You'll notice everyone has issues with Judaism. It's always this issue. It's always this issue. They didn't get to the wilderness. And so Judaism keeps cramping their style. Torah study, mitzvahs, tzitzis, shabbos, tefillin, kippahs. I mean, for a secular person to wear one of these, this is like what I like to call instant nerd. You spend your whole life, you know how happy I was to put this on? Spent my whole life being cool. And, I mean, you can't go from cool to not cool as quickly as that. Cool. <laughs> You're done. 
And and what a breath of fresh air I have. Woo! Me. Me, just me. And what, what's next? You know, like, like no more being cool. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? And it kills me to see Jews raised observant on the cool trip, which is almost everyone I meet. so sad because it's not going to take it to the core our core essence is where the voice is that will make you a happy person and it goes totally organically with Judaism your Judaism goes organically when you're there another little sad fact is people who raise observant who get in touch with the core have an issue with identifying Judaism with what messed them up we met a lot of people like that. They, ex- they erroneously match up their own tribal ancestry with what messed them up. And so that's, you know, their tribal ancestry is the baby. The, so- the society that messed them up is the bathwater. And they dump the baby out with the bathwater. So they got to their core. But they, they erroneously identified their tribal heritage as part of the problem. Please write down your question, by the way, so you stay focused on what I'm saying. And then you also have whole societies of observant Jews who are a million miles away from any tribal heritage. They've lost touch with that. They're city Jews. And they do what they do, and the Baruch Hashem, they're doing what they're doing. I'm doing that stuff too. I'm for sure doing what they're doing. You know, I'm doing it. I'm feeling on the mornings, saying Yehoshmei Rabbas, learning the Torah, doing all the mitzvahs. But the, the, coming from that core place, it's, it's, a, it's a tribal right that you're involved in. A tribal right of what's called hiskashrus. Hiskashrus means fusion with the, with the maker. It's a fusion with the maker. But when Jews think they can just go uproot Jews from their ancestral lands, which is the land of Israel, when Jews think they can up, up, uproot from their ancestral lands and and assert their Judaism on foreign soil, how can we play? How can we sing our songs in a strange land? Now, if you're forced out, you're going to have to sing your songs. But what's the energy between God and the nation of Israel? What's the energy between God and the tribe of Israel? What kind of energy does it create when Jews choose to live outside their ancestral lands? Now, again, you can, what I'm about to say, you can throw in the garbage on your way out the door of the building. Because this is 
purely, and this isn't in my opinion, this is just a maybe, but it's so often when I'm getting calls, which I'm constantly getting, calls, texts, WhatsApps, emails, about save my kid, save my kid. And I always see the area code, it's either 718 or it's, or it's uh, 347. Or it's whatever Lakewood is. What's Lakewood? 732. 732. 732s. I, I, I mean, I see them. They're coming in all the time, all day. While we're in here, you know, we're on Do Not Disturb, but they'll be coming in. And anyway, the part you can throw in the garbage can is me in the back of my mind saying, what do you expect? You want to create a whole... Oh, you don't like that secular people founded the state of Israel? <laughs> I don't like incest. You know? But that's where David came from. You know? I think incest is wrong. The Torah says it's wrong, but King David came from there. Both sides. Both sides were not pretty stories. You're on the Tamar side, the Ruth side. No matter where you go, it doesn't look right, but that's Mashiach. So, like, you want to stand on principle? You maybe own too many buildings in Manhattan. Maybe that's the issue. Maybe our community just has too much property. And when I get the phone calls, I'm like, what do you want? I mean, just look at Tanakh. You read through Tanakh. Every time someone makes a move that breaks the principles of the bond, which has to do with three things. The nation of Israel, the creator, and the land of Israel. So whenever you see something go off of um, every time you see a king or, or a prophet or someone below the bond, like they messed up something, if you know Tanakh well, you know the other foot's about to drop. It might be a few chapters later. It's coming. It's coming. Like the famous one is like anytime you see a king make a protection pact with another country surrounding Israel, we're, we are about to get weaned. You see it, but somebody who doesn't know Tanakh is just reading the story. They're like, okay, Jews made a pact, you know, a little ally with Syria. And, uh, or Egypt, or whomever, a little protection pack, political card plan, for protection from foreign countries. Now I'm back on the state. Now I'm on the secular state of Israel. A little protection from the foreign countries. But so then, then, if you don't know Tanakh, so now you see they're getting reamed, and you're like, what is, you don't wouldn't even put it together. But when you really go through it, book after book after book, you, you know it's coming. These are spiritual principles that are are not. These are not laws of spirituality that are are um, that God's like playing softball about. He plays hardball. God plays hardball. And there's an alignment that we're all that is required of all of us. 
and you can't claim, you can't, you can go up and tell God, go tell God that, you know, go tell God it would be hard to stay in Israel. It would have been hard. And you know what God will show you? He'll show you a split screen. He'll show you one screen of raising your children on foreign soil, and down the line of a couple generations, show you what that looks like, which, God forbid, that's what it looked like. Or he'll show you what would have happened had you made the hard choice. My father-in-law doesn't keep a lot of Torah. I'm being generous. And he he uh, he once said to me, he says, he calls me YTC, Yom Tov Klein. He, says, he has like shotguns and stuff. He like he like he like can kill bears and stuff. He looks like a lumberjack. His his forearms are thicker than my thighs. <laughs> he once said to me, "You know, YTC, there's one thing I learned in my life. There's the easy way and there's the hard way. And the hard way is always better." But if I, if one more Jew tells me when I say, "Why are you leaving Israel with your wife and kids? You want to leave? Go by yourself. Don't leave with your wife and kids. You you so much want to be in Brooklyn." So give her a get. Give her a get. Say goodbye. You can't take them out of here. Or if a woman's trying to drag her husband and kids out of Israel, get a get. Get a get. get a, you know what get stands for? Get lost. Yeah? <laughs> but who are you to do that? I feel the same way when I see secular Israelis driving to like onto the Canary or wherever they're going. On Shabbos, with their kids in the back seat. I did it once. I won't do it again. But I did walk up to a family. The kids were in the back. The parents were now getting in the car. They got the kids all strapped up. And I said, listen, you got free will. You want to go to the Canary on Shabbos. Go right ahead. But just, if you don't mind leaving the kids with my family. <laughs> you just don't have broad enough shoulders to be making this kind of a decision on your kids. On your kid's account, who are you? Who are you? Who are you to put your children in the car? What do you say? <laughs> they, they like intimated to one another to like get in the car quick before this man takes our children. <laughs> you know, it definitely looked like some kind of kidnapping situation, <laughs> like cult tactics. <laughs> We would have taken your children. <laughs> and it, this is the halacha. The Torah tells us this. When you look in the Mesechet, Mesechet Ketubas, you look at Mesechet Ketubas, the tractate of Ketubot, which is wedding contracts, it's very clear. That if anyone wants to move to Israel, the, uh, they, they are, have the right to get a get if the other one doesn't want to leave. With full payment. You, you, if a woman asks for a get, she ain't getting paid nothing. If she wants out, she can get her get. She's not going to get a penny out of that get. The get's worth two years of livelihood. It's a lot of money. You know, if, if two years of livelihood today, you know, we're talking like $80,000 probably. She doesn't get that money if she wants out of her marriage. She can get the get. She can't get any money from the ketuba. Ketuba's got the protection. It's the original feminist document. 
we were the first people on this earth to protect women in marriage. And it's amazing that I, I just love the secular world with their like, you know, like women's rights, women's rights, women's rights, women's rights. And then, and then they send their 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old daughters out to the wolves. They get devoured. Their hearts are put in an egg slicer, sliced in every single direction. And I don't care if it was consenting. The parents should be put behind bars. For, for it's consenting, okay. So it's not. No one's going behind bars, but. And you think there's not going to be scar tissue when they finally get married? When a man finally does give her a ring, there's not going to be scar tissue there. She's married to. She's married to every man she was with until she finally actually got a ring from something. They're all in the bed. They're in the family. They're in the room. And the, not the guy himself. It's the scar tissue. It's the pain. It's the rip to shreds. And this is where our, our liberal feminist world has taken us. Gee, you really did a great job with the females. Women had always a lot of cards that protected them. Their most important cards were the mother and the father. Then there was the community, and there was the society. But girls were protected. It was a protection for girls. And the card that no one got, the most important card of all, that no one got, was the card of, uh, of intimacy. If she didn't have an insurance policy on her ring finger, meaning even with the feminist movement where girls were losing all their protection, they at least had that last card to not give intimacy without an insurance policy. And then what happened? As things got more and more liberal, in the late 1960s was something they called it the sexual revolution. And, they, and remember, the whole thing from the 50s was we want to be like men. Well, men are slime balls. And so they want to, you want to be like men? Okay. The men were like, great, be like us. This sounds really exciting. And they, the women gave up that last card, the last card they had. They dropped it on the table. And you know what happened ever since then? Ever since that day, men rent. Why buy when you can rent? There's no such thing as boyfriend or girlfriend. There's only rent. And when she, and you notice what happened in the marriage age from 1967 when this all began. You know what happened in the marriage age? It went from like. It went from like 17 to 20, like in the secular world. It went from 17 to 20, 21, 22. It went like immediately up to the late 20s. Immediately. Went up to the late 20s because who in the world's going to marry it? Why, why marry? And then it moved into the 30s and later. And then what happens is, this happens a lot in Manhattan, is someone turns like 38 years old and then like, 
they like suddenly like turn around and realize, oh my gosh, I forgot to get married. And of course, if it's a woman, her clock's ticking, and if it's the man, he's realizing that like he'd like to build a home. And what happens? They all look around like, hmm, oh, now I'm ready to get married. This is very exciting. And then they look out, and there's a used car lot, as far as the eye can see. And when they get married, you know what happens? For the next 30 years, given that they stayed married, given that they had an inner voice, they married right. But you know what happens for the next 30 years? The next 30 years, and this is only the best marriages, next 30 years is they heal year after year after year and when they're finally in their 70s together Mazda they're married takes years takes years that's why I feel so bad when I see a girl raised in the ancestral in our ancestral traditions when I see her like falling off the edge and it's always falling off the edge because of uh, there's generally an issue between her and her parents. There was not the right kind of love coming down. The parents didn't love as love is supposed to be given. And uh, and she uh, she goes for the counter, the external, the external expression of love, which is obviously. You know, just gonna crush. It just crushes her. And so, I broke the shem. I've been able to catch some girls before they fell, and say to them that uh, you don't realize where you're going, but this is gonna destroy your chances. Keep yourself pure. You don't give anything of yourself until you're wearing that insurance policy. When you got the insurance policy, then you give it all, and you actually have love, real connection for the rest of your life. Don't go for the counterfeit, because there's almost no way back. Shalom, everybody. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.